0: It's Wednesday, February 8th, 2017, and you, my friends, are listening to episode 65 of Roll Up...
1: That's right, you're a Barker substitute today. I'm a
2: Barker substitute. (laughs) Not an actual Barker, but an incredible simulation. Uh,
1: VR Barker, if you will.
2: VR Barker. (laughs) (laughs) What do we want to talk about banter-wise? Anyone have any banter topics? Anything goes. Anything. Anything.
3: We we kind of exhausted the wedding food.
2: I know. (laughs) If we had been recording, that would have been great. But
3: little premature conversation.
2: Here, I've got, I got one, I got one. And it's related to RPGs, which is very odd for us when normally (laughs) the banter topic is not, is not related to RPGs in any way. Keep Uh, that bar low, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not sure, we may have talked about this before, but we haven't, we definitely haven't talked about it with Jake yet. And that is like, Mm. what is your favorite food to eat while you are gaming or like at a game night? What's Mm. your like, what's your preferred food at the table or snack or whatever or drink if you don't eat? Food in general. <laughs> <laughs> if no, there's I, food, I'm there.
3: I okay, so um I'm a big fan of um like in our in my one home game that I play in that we have we have eight people counting the DM, but we just have an amazing group dynamic. And mm-hmm. three of the guys are big time into smoking uh meats and grilling meats and things like that. Uh, so we always have some kind of smoked meats. Uh, last time I think it was some kind of um, he used a fancy French word uh, for parboil uh, <laughs> for the chicken, <laughs> and then they they put a they put a breading on it and put it in the oven, yep. and then he had some smoked uh, brisket with some kind of special sauce. And we we don't even start the game for like an hour after game time just because everybody's eating all these succulent meats. And the yeah. other thing in my other game group, uh, one of my players. She is a tremendous baker, and she makes these cookies (laughs) that are easily... Six inches in diameter and about two inches thick. I think she takes like half a <laughs> roll of cookie dough and makes two makes a, an entire cookie out of it. That's
2: amazing. Oh, I was gonna say, man.
1: isn't that like a cake at that point? I mean, yeah,
2: yeah, it becomes a cake. <laughs> at some point, yeah. it, at some
3: point, it stops being a cookie anymore yeah. and becomes a cake or something else. It's, it's like it's like one step shy of just being called Mrs. Fields.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My wife, before we were married, before we even together, she would bake for the game group because um, we met playing D anD. D And she would show up with cookies and cupcakes and all kinds of stuff. And one time she showed up with this huge thing of these. um, They were like, they were like green tea cookies. I don't even know how to explain them. She made them with like, with like matcha. Hmm. They were like sugar cookies, but they had this really nice kind of like green tea, almost kind of sweet bitterness to them. And they were really, really tasty. I'd never had them before. And uh, she made a big batch of them for everybody. And then she had a little Tupperware. That was just for me. And that was when I was like, I'm going to marry this woman. Cause she made me my own batch of cookies. And, uh, Yeah, I just I I miss having that. We don't we don't do home home gaming as much. And even when we do, we don't do food anymore because no one can agree on what we want to eat. And like, I I love my home group. But if I say bring cash for pizza, no one brings cash for pizza. I'm footing the bill every time. (laughs) And it's not that they're that they're cheap. It's just that they forget to bring cash and they go, oh, shoot, I forgot to bring cash. Sorry, man, I'll get you next time. And I go, no, you won't. You'll forget. It's fine.
3: It, it so, won't make you feel any just, better, but that's me. I'm the guy that always forgets to bring the money, <laughs> and I still end up eating a couple pieces of pizza.
2: Yeah. Well, and we, yeah, and that's the thing, is we just don't, we, we get together, like, after dinner, or we do the, like, if you want to eat, bring your own food. So everyone shows up yeah. with, like, different fast food or whatever, so, but I miss that, like, cooking for everybody, mm. and, like, people bringing things, like, it's kind of nice, it's, it adds to the like social togetherness of the game i feel like eating together you know oh for sure have you guys ever uh ever gone for like any sort of like uh i don't know like like ethnic food at your at your uh, game tables like do you do like mexican or indian or i don't know like maybe some Egyptian food of any kind at your at your game table.
1: I I don't know what Egyptian food is, but, <laughs> I, don't is totally the but I don't know but, either. Same thing.
2: I don't know either. But that's a hell of a segue. Yeah, that was. I really had to had to stretch for that one. But yes, uh, today on Roll Up and Die, we are talking about Egyptian themed desert adventures, and this is something that I'm very happy to have our mm. guest with us today talk about because he's in the process of writing an adventure module that is egyptian themed so uh jake norman from mini terrain domain he's with us today awesome game mm-hmm. master go check him out on youtube Jake, why don't you tell us a little bit about the adventure module that you're writing?
3: Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. It's awesome. I'm a big True. fan. Listen to all the episodes. Uh, interestingly, uh, while I crafted the module that I'm talking going to talk about here, the Tomb of the Mummy Lord, uh, actually mm-hmm. started out as a, a physical craft that I built, an actual uh, pyramid that is uh, two levels, It comes apart, it's 24 inches on its base, it stands about 18 inches high, has lots of rooms inside. Uh, and is designed for use at the table with miniatures. And I listened to a lot of Roll Up and Die while I was building that. Um, so it's intrinsic in the very bricks of the pyramid, um, even though you don't necessarily experience Maybe I stole it. Maybe I used a couple ideas I could steal. Yeah, um, I was going to say Roll the Up rooms. and Die is
2: the, is the mortar in your pyramid holding exactly. those bricks together.
3: Exactly. So I don't really have yet a homebrew world but i have some homebrew mm. mythologies and one of those is this ancient adventuring group called the Vieros and i have a lot of the personalities figured out and i have different things that i've done in my home games using different members of the Vieros and in this particular instance uh the the one-time cleric of the group uh years after they adventured Disappeared into the south, and then rumors started to rise about a self-declared cleric king, Hysenoroth. And the idea, it, it kind of goes into a little, little uh, in, intentionally into tropey uh, dungeon crawl, um, hmm. Indiana Jones-inspired spike traps and things <laughs> like that.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, yep. A lot of uh, um, seeming anachronisms. So first off, because I'm getting ready to run many games of Tomb of the Mummy Lord over the next few months uh, online, this will be a little bit spoilery, but I'm going to save some of the good stuff. You can expect to find a room with frozen water and ice and frost in the tomb, as well as a room that actually has a miniature volcano in it.
2: Oh, cool. Uh, There are
3: acid pits and blood fountains. Um I threw that one in for Alex. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Alex
2: is sitting there going, okay, where are the blood fountains? I know they're going to be in there.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the idea is that there's uh, a little bit of ultimately the players are are coming to this uh, tomb for the treasure. And they're going to, of course, encounter puzzles. They're going to encounter um, things like uh, mummies, of course. Various Mm. undead. I've created some unique constructs, something called a a scarab scorpion. Um, So, picture a giant scorpion that's carapace is gold and it spouts flame. Nice. There are traps. Uh, I typically run this in um, like gaming stores or I run it as a four hour online game or Mm -hmm. I've run it at cons before. (laughs) So, You make a choice if you're going to go one direction or the other, and that's how I'm able to keep it at four hours. But in the module, um, you'll actually have the opportunity to play it as a full-on six- to eight-hour adventure with an addition at the end Um, then I'm, you'll have to get the adventure module when it's available to find (laughs) out what the, but I I am going to include an option that allows you to plug this into a campaign and even use it as the starting point for a
2: campaign. Very cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. And the, the, the images, the photos of the, of the actual piece that you built, Jake, are just, I mean, this thing is if this thing was in San Francisco, like they would charge like 2000 bucks a month rent to live inside of it. Like it's huge. (laughs) It's so impressive. And so it's, it's really cool that, um, that you've taken this, what started out as a terrain piece that you built for, I assume your home group and as just sort of become this, uh, sort of an obsession for you at a certain point. You know, you're you're going to be running this so many times over the next few months to to really kind of flesh mm-hmm. it out and get a feel for all the little details and write an adventure module. And I just think that's – I think that's really cool, man.
3: Yeah, I I spent 100 hours building the tomb. And full disclosure, it's not 100% complete because I'm waiting for a tool that I'm actually getting tomorrow, a sort of hot wire table saw device. Oh, yeah, right. Because yeah. um, <laughs> I've got to completely redo the exterior <clears throat> And give it a base and stuff like that, but I hand carved all of the (laughs) brickwork inside it. Uh, Each brick generally has to be drawn twice: once with a razor knife and once with the pencil outline. And I know for Mm. a fact there are over ten thousand bricks in that pyramid. (laughs) (laughs) Ask me how I know that. Oh my God! You know, you know better
2: than anyone else. (laughs) Yeah, and I've run it. I've run the
3: game in person fifteen times so far at cons and game stores. And I'm running it another 10 times online. I don't know why I want to run the same adventure 25 (laughs) times, um, but it really is helping me to, uh, to flesh out the actual tomb. Yeah. Um, yeah and and the module because such a diverse group of players at the end of the day I'll have run close to a hundred people through this thing
2: that's that's cool. awesome man and that's I feel like Egypt and like sort of Egyptian mythology and sort of the the different <clears throat> uh sort of folklore and stuff that we get from Egypt is so rich and unique and cool, but we don't yeah. often see it being utilized. In a game like Dungeons and Dragons, obviously there are certain campaign Mm -hmm. settings that that take a lot of that borrow a lot of ideas from from ancient Egypt. But I know for me, like, I don't know a ton about ancient Egypt, but it's cool. Like, I like (laughs) I I like the way that things look and I like the the different, you know, the the pantheon of the gods and things like that. And I feel like it can be it can be used more in D&D, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and it was, I mean, it's one of the oldest cultures on earth. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the source for so many of our ancient writings. I mean, so many other uh, ancient writings borrowed from uh, the Egyptians. And this, this is something interesting I read not too long ago. And this this will kind of blow your mind a little bit, that Cleopatra is closer in time to us than she is to the building of the original pyramids that's crazy that's, that's insane yeah yeah it's kind of kind of weird when you think about it that way yeah <laughs> but that's but that's essentially how, that's i mean and of course you know egypt is much older than those pyramids even yeah so i mean it, it's it's so much happened during such a long period of time that it's uh, sort of unimaginable to most people yeah. you know most com- most countries that w- that that we know of are maybe you know a thousand years old if they're lucky yeah <laughs> you know but uh you know, for a civilization to last two, three, four thousand years, that's amazing.
2: Yeah, it is. It is amazing. And it's i the way I think of it. I feel like you have you have two different options when it comes to running like an Egyptian themed game. There's mm. the like there's the after the empire has fallen where you're delving into yep. the ruins and going into the tombs and things like that. And then yep. there's the a campaign setting with the Empire at its height when it was like, yeah. you know, the the pyramids are still covered in in white and gold and things like that. And, you know, and right. there's actual pharaohs who are ruling the desert and things like that. Like so I think that not only is it is it sort of rich and, and, and ripe for adventure, but you have a lot of different options when going for something a little Egyptian themed, you know? Yeah, but I feel like Jake, your yours is a little bit that latter idea of like going in a tomb, you know, like the, the pyramid has, is is old. It's thousands of years old. And now these adventurers are sort of plundering it, you know, Tomb Raider style uh, for riches and things like that.
3: Yeah, exactly. That That's, you know, I kind of borrowed heavily from uh, Tomb Raider, which happens to be one of my all-time favorite video game franchises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there was a lot of Tomb Raider influence and a lot of Indiana Jones influence. And just kind of, you know, I looked at movies like The Mummy um, and its couple of iterations uh, just to kind of get that feel for it. Mm -hmm. But even just the adventure movies, like I know at one point I was watching some of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies while I was working on it. And it's not inherently Mm -hmm. pirate themed, but you still have the opportunities for close quarter swashbuckling adventure. Yeah, And, And it really is. I mean, you see... At least a lot of the games that I see run online today are outdoor adventures, traveling from one outdoor locale to another outdoor locale. And it it seems that it's, it's getting more uh, rare to see people actually delve into a dungeon. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with this, is I wanted to put people mm-hmm. underground. I wanted to put people into rooms that are, um, I think, one of the biggest rooms in the tomb is i believe it's 35 or 40 feet across and only 70 feet wide Uh and some of your some of your rooms are are 30 feet by 50 feet and narrow hallways where you know you should probably take your time walking through this hallway
2: (laughs) right which
3: (laughs) also happens to be the room that i enjoy when the player says oh i walked to the door at the end of the hallway
2: (laughs) yeah See, and that's it's cool, too, because it's like that is those are dungeons that we have real world experience like delving into, you know, like people uncover these pyramids and these ruins and they actually go inside of them and yeah. uh, uncover <clears throat> artifacts and things like that. And obviously they don't encounter mummies that that come to life yet. You know, we haven't encountered that <laughs> yet, but yeah, <laughs> but it's just it's I think that that the sort of the allure and the mystery of Egypt the fact that all of these things are are still around after thousands of years and oh, also yeah. i think a big draw is their their sort of obsession with death and the afterlife and all of these rituals that go into into the afterlife and into burial and things like that and i think that yep. That that kind of idea is just great for D and D because you get tons of ideas for different adventures from that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it wasn't too long ago there was a, there was a movie that came out. I think it was just called The Pyramid. That was uh, that was pretty much a dungeon delve into this this new type of pyramid they uncovered. It it was it was huge. It was un, it was mostly underground. They just uncovered like the tip. Oh yeah. And and uh, uh, but it was unusual in that it was three sided. So it, they you know that was a first. Sign that there was something unusual about it, but pretty much, they're going to be thrown out of the dig site because of political problems in the area. Uh-huh. So they decide, well, you know, we don't have really time to prepare, so we're going to send in our our little, you know, rover to see what we can see, and they send it in, and and something destroys it, and so they go in to try and find it, and they get lost inside this massive pyramid, and it's basically like a big dungeon crawl. That's it's, awesome. Uh, if I've you get a chance to see it, it's, it, yeah, it's it was, I think it was just, I think it was just called The, the Pyramid. I'm looking it up right now. It's a little bit um, cheesy in parts, but got overall, a cool it's- po- It's it, got a cool it's,
2: poster. It's like Jaws style poster, yeah. but with a mummy instead of a, instead of a shark. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, if
1: you get a chance to see it, it's uh, it's, it's good inspiration for this sort of thing.
2: Cool. I'm um, definitely gonna check that out. I'll watch One that of things while I'm would...
3: working on a pirate adventure.
2: Right. <laughs> 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 just just to, just to restore a balance. Yeah. Um.
1: Well, one of the things I think about when I when I consider mimicking a a real culture is is how much of it do I actually want to take? You know, do I want it to be like someone like aliens just sort of plucked out Egypt (laughs) during during the height of its power and and stuck it on my world? You know, where you have the leader is called a pharaoh, where you have, you know, the same rituals, the same types of things. Or do you want to just take, you know, how much inspiration do you want to take from it? You know, do right. you want it to be recognizable? Do you want it to be kind of similar or just have or just have the sort of feel to it that's vaguely Egyptian? Or yeah, um, maybe maybe the idea of a desert civilization is a different way to look at it, too.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that <clears throat> even just as it, at its base, you can look at, you know, the Egyptian civilization sort of growing up around these water sources in the middle of a, you know, otherwise sort of inhospitable yeah. place. I mean, that's that's good sort of inspiration for anything, really any sort of desert dwelling civilization, because if you if you control the water in these places, you essentially control yeah. everything, you know?
1: Well, I know I've talked about it a little bit before, but the idea that the environment, you know, shapes the culture is really important, I think. And yeah. when you're designing it. So when you think about an Egyptian like or desert like culture, look at how their this situation influenced their cultural growth. Like if you look at uh, Egypt the Nile was the most important thing in their lives. That was the source of all life to them. Yeah. Um, literally and figuratively. You know, you look at where they got their notions of the afterlife, that sort of thing. And, and by delving into how they, got to, how they got to be that way, you can then kind of go back and start with a brand new culture and then start to make changes, you know, kind of an alternate history sort of thing where you begin, sort of make your own changes along the way and see what you come up with. Based on how they started, yeah. that sort of thing,
2: right? Yeah, no, I think that's cool. I have a sort of mini campaign setting <clears throat> that I toy around with every now and again. That is sort of based on the cultures surrounding the the Mediterranean uh, and uh, sort of, you know the Greek city states and things like that. And uh, one of the cultures are the the high elves across the Mediterranean are essentially they're called the Hedgeti and they are essentially Mm -hmm. Egyptian, uh, you know, sort of themed. And they are the only ones that have innate control over arcane magic. And that's sort of like the the flavor that I've injected in them with is they have these, you know, they they build these sprawling cities along this river and they build these giant obelisks and they like Mm -hmm. command strange sorceries. And they're sort of like this sort of mysterious culture across the Mediterranean and whenever the, the, you know, the cultures across the way have the, have dealings with them, they're, they're sort of mistrusted, you know, because they're this this strange elven culture from across the sea that, you know, why would you choose to live in the desert sort of situation? But what, what have you guys sort of put in your campaign settings or in your games that are sort of distinctly Egyptian themed or Egyptian inspired?
3: With the, the tomb of the mummy Lord, I did some research on ancient Egypt. I drew on just some historical knowledge that I had, and I did some research on the tombs themselves, uh, the various tombs that have been uncovered, and things like that. And first off, I noticed you do even cursory research, and you're going to see that the pyramid comprises, it is mostly comprised of rock. Right. Um, and there's only a few burial chambers. Or uh, other chambers within it, whereas in something like this, that that wouldn't make for much of an adventure. So you fill out as much of the interior space of the pyramid as you can. Uh, The other thing I looked at was I kind of stayed away from even using Egyptian terms um, Mm. other than mummy. And and maybe one or two other things. and But what I took distinctly from that is the burial practices of yeah. the mummification, the use of the canopic jars to uh, place the various organs in, which within D&D 5e, the canopic jar and the organs, in particular the heart, is very important when dealing with a mummy lord. Yeah. Um, and then also the idea that in Egyptian culture, a pharaoh uh might have other attendants, important people that were buried with them, that were right. mummified with them, uh, often against their will, in most cases against their will. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. and and I use that for as fuel for a couple of encounters um mm-hmm. where there are sarcophagi and there's an opportunity for the players to interpret some uh, faded hieroglyphs or runes and determine that these were uh, chief generals that served Hisenaroth in his army. And depending on their actions, they may end up seeing these generals in action. So I, I took those kind of things, but then mm-hmm. you kind of flip it and you just throw D&D tropes in there where uh, there might be a roper in one of the rooms, uh, distinctly not Egyptian.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So yeah, I kind of borrowed just those, those key ideas and of course the pyramid and, um, and things like that. And, and I would even say the idea, when you mentioned, you know, like just the general idea of the, the Nile and how this entire culture sprang up around this source of life, this river, um, that does play out to a certain extent in microcosm within the pyramid, that you're in the middle of a desert, you've traveled uh, in game terms, it takes approximately five days of desert travel, so you've expended most of your uh, rations and water. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's certain effects that take place within <laughs> the game mechanics that I've put in because the pyramid is a layer, so I've developed certain layer uh, attributes yeah. where the uh, any food and water that you have in your position possession, uh, if the players open up a water skin and try to take a drink, all their water is turned to sand. Oh, all their honey. all their food rations have rotted. rotted. And, yeah, that'll that'll ramp up the tension. Yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. And then
3: when <laughs> so so when they encounter this cold running <clears throat> fountain further into the dungeon, there's a greater suspicion, mystery, and temptation. And it kind of explains how some uh, semblance of life could exist potentially within this middle of the desert, arid pyramid.
2: Right. Yeah, that's awesome. That that actually brings up a good point that I'd like to focus on for a little bit is the idea of, you know, desert civilizations and the importance of water and food and agriculture and places like that. And um, – yeah. I f- a few people asked about it on the fi- on the Facebook page when we put up the topic of like, how do you instill in your players and how do you handle that like the need for survival and the idea of water being really important? And uh, I, Alex, you're actually working on a book right now, right? That ha- that deals with survival and has some extra rules and stuff for that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, uh, right now I'm working on a, a general survival book, but uh, a, sh- a short time ago we put out uh, Desert Wastes, yes, which is more specifically for this sort of. Uh, environment and kind of the idea behind it, like the name implies is to make the environment part of the, part of the adventure, you know, uh, and, and it sounds like, you know, you've done that a bit with, you know, making the food sort of run out when they get there and then the rest of it's kind of spoils. That's a, that's a great way to sort of bring that, that tension into it because, you know, when it gets to the point where water or food is, is just as much of a treasure as that magical sword or that tome or whatever, Yeah, that, that's, that's awesome. You know, you you you, you, to show them that there there, there are these different sort of different priorities that you can be going for that are more basic. You know, we're gonna die. We're gonna die if we don't get food and water. And so, uh, you know, we you know in the book we kind of deal with things like heat stroke and uh, you know how the heat affects you know metal armor for example. You don't think of that, but if you're walking if you're walking through a desert, you're not wearing metal armor. No, (laughs) you're 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 basically going to be cooking in that literally.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know.
1: So, you know, you take into account how much you have to carry, how much water you have to carry, you know, how much you have to drink, how much uh, food you should carry. The idea that, you know, if you run out of water, you shouldn't be eating because that's going to make you dehydrate faster. Right,
2: exactly. You know,
1: little things like that. And then we have other things like, uh, you know, dealing with like sandstorms and sinkholes and, you know, all, all all this kind of fun and interesting stuff that can can really en- enhance the feel of any kind of desert campaign
2: yeah for sure making the the environment itself a sort of an adversary for the players i think and it's one that is constant and that they can't really escape you know the idea of like the sun and the hot sand and the lack of food and lack of water and i think if you're if you're a a party going through the desert and you see one of these cities that's on a river or in an oasis or something like that. You know, this sort of mm-hmm. these you know cities of, of splendors that the, uh, you know, e- Egyptian style cities. I think that it would be a really kind of cool thing for your players to be able to explore. And it would also be something that they would sort of have to have to go to. You know, they couldn't really bypass oh, yeah. it. They're like, nah, we don't really need water. It's like you guys are dying <laughs> like you need to get water. That's right. So I just think that that's kind of it, it presents a lot of cool, interesting hooks to me of like, you know, players going through the desert and then coming upon this city and seeing, a you know, completely sort of almost somewhat isolated civilization where it's like, you know, people aren't really coming out here to see these people. They live out in the middle of the desert. They just happen to be on mm-hmm. the water source, you know.
1: Well, and, and that's one of the cool things about any kind of desert adventure like that is, is it's all about isolation. Yeah. You know, cause you're going to have these little islands of life or in in the case of a tomb unlife perhaps, mm-hmm. but you, you're going to have these little islands that you, that you, that traveling between them is no small feat. You know, right. you're not going to find rest stops along the way with, you know, uh, warm food and cold drinks or anything like that. It's just going to be, you know, we have to plan to get from, you know, point A to point B it's 400 miles through yeah. desert we better pack we better pack well uh we're halfway across oh look a, a sandstorm <laughs> yeah <Crap.
2: laughs> yeah it's <laughs> you true know,
1: you know so um it, you know the the, the weather in the environment doesn't have to be the main thing but it can definitely enhance the main thing yeah um one thing that comes to mind it's not the desert but uh was the hateful eight. Oh yeah um
2: Mm, where they yeah. were all
1: sort of driv- where they were all sort of driven into into this into the haberdashery by the snowstorm, by the yeah, the they
2: all trapped in there, yeah,
1: <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So the snowstorm wasn't wasn't the thing, but it made the thing possible. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So you know what what's what's driving them? Are they now trapped there because now they can't leave where they are because there's a sandstorm that's just covering everything? So we have to stay inside now. You know we can't get out of this, even if we wanted to. Yeah,
2: I've been playing this game, this video game lately uh, called Conan Exiles, and it's a it's a Conan oh, the Barbarian yeah. game, where you sort of get stranded out in this desert. You're you're in exile for one reason or another, and you get stranded out in this desert. And you start the game with nothing. I mean, you're literally you're literally exiled out there, and you have a loincloth, and mm-hmm. The first thing you come across is like you find a dead body with a half empty water skin and you like go to you're like, I need food. And you go to a bush and you find a you find bugs. And so you're literally stumbling through the desert, like drinking the last drops of this water skin, eating handfuls Mm -hmm. of of desert bugs to survive. And when you finally get to an oasis, it's surrounded by enemies that want to kill you it's like animals there's like crocodiles there's like monsters there there's bandits because everything is congregating around this water source and it's like you have to fight and kill for water and like, that's just I don't know. That's a totally different flavor of D&D and adventure like you like you were saying, yeah. Alex, where it's like the basic needs take precedence over the shiny sword or the, you know, the pile of gold. It's like this sword does me no good because I haven't eaten in five days and I you know I, I'm going to die. And so, I just think it adds another level of intensity yeah. to it, you know. Well,
1: I, I kind of get that feeling a lot when I played uh, Desolation, you know, because yeah. again, it's, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic fantasy. Right. And so, treasure was finding a metal weapon, <laughs> you know. It was right. finding water. It was finding. It was finding food. When you kill that thing. You know you don't just leave it leave its dead body it's like can i eat that yeah <laughs> you know
2: exactly it's like, I... <laughs> yeah, am i able to eat this
1: <laughs> you know and and that's something too in, in a campaign you know desert campaign it's like and, and it's and it's a lot fuzzier in D, isn't it because like you know you you, you kill a minotaur it's like he's kind of kind of like a cow yeah i mean <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: i like, can make a burger out of this you know, it's like—is it cannibalism? Technically, yeah. not, I guess.
2: I mean, it's you humanoid, know? but it's not human.
1: So you get that—that that kind of uh, you have that kind of fun and interesting uh, ethical banter.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, and that <laughs> that brings into play another idea of like uh, in this Conan Exiles game. <clears throat> if you if you eat other humans, mm-hmm. you gain corruption but also oh. you affect your standing with uh, a certain God in the game because the gods oh, yeah. are a big play, play, a big part into it. And like, yeah, yeah. uh, that's a big thing in Egypt too, is there, is their Pantheon? They have one of the most yeah. interesting Pantheons of any ancient civilization. <clears throat> I think <clears throat> like that, you know, all of these, the, the animal gods and Anubis and Horus and Ra and things like this. Like, I just think that, That Egypt, ancient Egypt is ripe for ideas if you're wanting to, you know, work on your pantheon or for your gods, for your world. We just talked about this a few episodes ago, Mm -hmm. designing your own pantheon. Like, look at ancient Egypt because they have some of just the most unique and also non not really good or bad gods. They're very fickle, you know, like they're very, very neutral uh, entities in the in the grand scheme of things.
1: Yeah, it definitely a different relationship with them. Than uh, than many people are accustomed to today.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, and Jake, you mentioned that in the tomb of the Mummy Lord that it was it was tied to the pantheon of your world, right? Not so much. <laughs> it's
3: not so much a pantheon <laughs> as it is as it is just a a general mythology of ancient heroes.
2: Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, but still, and, that's, and, that's another thing, though, well, is the, the revering okay. of heroes and things like that, you know? Yeah. Right,
3: and so I'm going to go ahead and reveal this, because by the time I get around to writing this, people will probably forget that I said anything about it. Spoiler so, alert. <laughs> the, yeah, major spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> so the the Tomb of the Mummy Lord itself is a dungeon delve with essentially treasure as as the final reward. Defeat the Mummy Lord, get his stuff. Um, I do employ a completely original (laughs) technique, at least I think it's original, that I came up with called secret motivations, where there's eight motivations. They're they're represented as cards. Uh, They're things like uh, the thief, the orphan, the the heartbreaker, the heart stealer, um, and four others, that the characters will randomly be assigned, regardless of their class. Mm -hmm. So you could have a paladin that's designated the thief. And with that card, they get a uh, a motivation. It's their real reason why their character is there. And they oh, get he- a few extra pieces of equipment. So the thief <clears throat> was hired by a thieves guild to find the tomb, steal as much as he can. He's given a bag of holding and a set of expert thieves tools and um, reveal to them where it is. The heartbreaker was hired by a secret organization of clerics to find the tomb find the Canopic Jar with the heart, and destroy it. But there's an antithesis to that. There's a heart stealer that was hired by a secret group of necromancers to find the tomb, find the Canopic <laughs> Jar, and steal the heart. So you can imagine the dynamic that occurs when those two cards are in play at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um. And it does create some interesting scenarios. And I believe me, I've seen a lot of them play out. Um, <laughs> but... One of the things that I'm going to do is at the end of the module that kind of, it's just an optional, hey, you can use this idea uh, if you want to continue the adventure. And the Hmm. idea is that once the mummy lord is defeated, they're clearing out the tomb and eventually they investigate. Anybody that looks inside his golden sarcophagus will see that there's actually a uh, hidden entrance in the base of the sarcophagus. And there's a set of stairs that lead down ultimately into an entire necropolis that is under the desert. And (laughs) what they would find is directly in line, because it happens to be exactly opposite. um, On the other side of the wall of the sarcophagus is this fountain that I mentioned earlier. They would see this fountain is actually creating a waterfall into this tremendous source of water. And the idea is that the real reason that Hysinroth was trying to rise to power in the desert was he found this underground water source and was trying to create an entire civilization in the middle of the desert and hmm. raise this entire underground city and essentially create him raise himself up as a deity <clears throat> so creating his own uh making himself a part of the pantheon okay cool oh neat that was a long way around to the Pantheon question. <laughs>
2: no, but that's that's great because, uh, you know, the the pharaohs of Egypt were like they were like divinely chosen or whatever, you know, but to be mm. the, the pharaohs. And so they're always like the rulers are always tied to the to the pantheon. And I imagine that some of them sort of saw themselves as godlike beings, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that sort of works. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about was sort of the like the technology level of of ancient Egypt because Mm. obviously they, you know, they managed some just insane feats, you know, with building these monuments and, uh, and things like that. But they all, you know, this was like pre iron age. And so you had, you know, bronze, bronze weapons and things like that. Like how, how do you guys, how would we reconcile like that level of technology with a game that has heroes wielding long swords and shields and, and, and wearing, you know, plate armor and things like that. Or would you, would you try and reconcile it? Would you make it, you know, two separate things or would you try and kind of mingle them or what would, what would you do about that?
1: I mean, the desert is isolated anyway, like like we mentioned. And right. so, you know, separate enough from these other civilized areas so that maybe they don't, they just don't have access to the metal. So when, you know, if these adventures are from the outside, then their stuff is going to be really unusual there and right. probably in, in some cases valuable, maybe even valuable enough to get them killed.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's very true.
1: <laughs> the pharaoh says he wants your, uh, your your you know your silver medal. Um, yeah, you know. Oh, so no, that's cool. <laughs> I like turn, that. Turn it over. Yeah. You know you you're surrounded with guard. You know, hundreds of guards with spears. Like, give us your
2: Give us your weapons. Yeah, or better yet, like you have a dwarf <clears throat> in the party. Show us the ways of. Smithing your or silver mill, yeah. you know, yeah. Teach us the That's ways right. of steel. The riddle of steel. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: or you'll or you'll not get out of here alive. Yeah, exactly. See, I love that. But if you can also start if you started the characters in that area, like if they're from there, then it's not a big deal. You can just you know, it, when it's a sword, just you say it's bronze or you say it's copper or whatever. Right. So, you know. Not that big a deal.
2: Yeah. Well, and there was also, like, there was a big uh, emphasis on, uh, like, chariots and things like that, too. And so you can yeah. kind of, you can, you know, utilize things like that in the game to make it feel more Egyptian as well.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: Uh, do you guys want to take a couple questions from the listeners here?
1: Uh, I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, every week. When we record, uh, we put up a post on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash roll up and die. And then we go and we look at some of the questions and topics that you guys post that get the most likes and we address them. So the top question here uh, is from Jordan P. And he says, how do you handle hot, dry environments? Constitution checks every hour. I'm going to run an Egypt style game soon, and I'm trying to figure out an urgency system for traveling the desert and the side effects. That's a good question. We talked about it a little bit. And, uh, you know, Alex was mentioning, you know, his book, the, the, the desert waste, the cinematic environs where they have some, some things like that. But, um, I think a a good system like that, it has to be, it has to be simple enough where the players and the GM are going to remember to keep track of it. But it also needs to be, like, present enough where it's it has some debilitating effects. I think. So how yeah. how do you guys how do you guys do that?
1: Well, I, I actually used the pretty much I pretty much used exhaustion, yeah, because it's it's already sort of you know built into the system. And when and when I p- was putting this all together, or when we were putting it together, you know, we we wanted to keep it keep the spirit of fifth edition, yeah, you know, which is simple and quick. So you know, just just repurpose existing rules and so yeah so the way we worked it out is for every you know every so often in the desert heat without protection and and you know we talk about different types of protection like wearing the right kind of clothes do they have do you have any kind of um sun protection at all uh you know um Do you have enough water? Are you hydrated? Right. And so once you, you know, it's just a matter of keeping track of all those things. And like he was saying, make constitution saves to every so often to withstand the heat, um, till it eventually beats you down.
2: Yeah. What about you, Jake? You you mentioned that people like are traveling five days before they get to the tomb of the mummy lord. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So the, the travel and the arrival at the tomb, um, because of the nature of playing in an online game or at a con where you have a, a very set amount of time, yeah, uh, I handle that narratively. But within the module, I'm including uh, some optional rules for that. And it is literally um, con saves both daytime and nighttime because the desert gets insanely cold at night. Yeah, And whether or not you're prepared for it, if you have the right equipment will determine whether or not you make these checks with advantage, disadvantage, or straight roll. And then, yeah, you'll just suffer exhaustion. So it's essentially five days of travel, but it takes two days of rest to undo a level of exhaustion, if I remember correctly. Right, yeah. Yeah. So there's a chance you could end up with a couple levels of exhaustion by the time you get (laughs) to the tomb, which is going to increase the tension because one thing I found running the tomb in uh with teenagers in particular at a local game store is they seem to think that in this mummy lord's tomb in his domain they can just go ahead and take a rest <laughs> like oh we're gonna we're gonna take a long rest like okay, okay you go sure ahead and try that and i'm i start rolling dice yeah so i mean that that's a great way to ramp up that tension of this yeah of this enclosed environment is, is using, and like Alex said, it's a, it's a system that already exists in the conditions section of yeah. the player's handbook. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You yeah, just take into right. account all the things that Alex mentioned and decide how often you want to do those checks. Do you want to do them, uh, you know, in the morning, the afternoon and at night. So, so three times a day or yeah. two times. Cause the other thing is you want to balance it. You don't want it to be tedious, that you know they're rolling yeah. twenty times before they ever get to the thing, right? Right, and then they're they're you, so exhausted. You, you well, make we it... died. We didn't yeah. even make
1: it. We died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to. Yeah, you want to make it exciting and fun, and and you want to keep it moving, yeah. while building the tension. And um, a lot of people kind of forget how powerful exhaustion is as a tool for a GM because oh, it's great. You know, I mean, three levels of exhaustion, and you're at disadvantage on your attacks and saving throws. I mean, that that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, before that, like your speed is halved, and before that, you have disadvantage on all your ability checks. I mean, it it eats you up fast. Yeah, and so people think, ah, oh, it's just exhaustion, no big deal, walk it off. But yeah, it's not quite that easy. Exactly. <laughs> and if you're and, if you, and and if the first one is your ability checks, and you're going into a place that could potentially have hidden traps, <laughs> you know, you're going to need your faculties to yeah. right to be able to get through that alive.
2: Yeah, that's I really love exhaustion. And I, I got to, I think I, I, you know, I ran this uh, sword and sorcery game uh, a while back and I started the game sort of like you're talking about, Jake, sort of narratively describing, you know, their their trudge through the desert and the, the sun on their backs and how they've they've been out of water for a couple of days and I said you know you begin the game with a point with a level of exhaustion like they just no yep. no holding back you've been in a desert for days you you yep. are exhausted and immediately <clears throat> they go into a combat with a level of exhaustion and yeah I think exhaustion is great because it stacks so it gets worse the more you yep. ignore it and I think that it's great because you can't just rest or use a healing spell to get your to get levels of exhaustion back. Like you have to That's right. actively seek out shelter and food and water in order to get those levels back. And I think that, right, that yeah. it's, it's a great system. So I, I would I would agree with these guys and say that look at exhaustion. And then you the know, other I, thing I was, Oh, go ahead. Alex. OK,
1: uh, it was just a side note. I, I was I was really insp- I, I, I've been using looking into exhaustion a lot. And I was really particularly inspired by uh, by its sim- by its simplicity, and so I, um, I put together a the, the kind of the mental equivalent of it, which would be despair. Oh, and, and that and that that, that 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 that's that's what I'm working on in the new book, which is that uh, mental exhaustion, where you know you just you get more more as you gain level. You, there are six levels of despair. <laughs> yeah. So as as you, as you sort of gain them, uh, just like with with exhaustion. It has it has greater and greater effects on you. It makes you irritable, paranoid, you know. And and eventually, instead of zero, you don't die, but you you can get go go insane. That sort yeah. of thing. So, yeah. So that that that's kind of a something that you can think about thinking about bring into uh, a game like like a desert anyway, because there's nothing more um disheartening or you know, that'll bring you more despair perhaps. Yeah. Than being in the middle of nowhere with no food and no water and looking it's just seem desert to all the horizons. Just for miles.
2: You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that you would you would, you would have to have a pretty strong will in order to keep on going at that point, you know. So that right. that's definitely something to think about is like right. the, the mental toll that something like that takes. It's the yeah.
3: mechanical application for a Treyu and Artax in the Swamp of Sadness.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Another thing I was going to throw out there as an option uh, is looking at the the journey system in the Adventures in Middle Earth uh, book. That oh, is, yeah. uh, it's Middle Earth Fifth Edition, but they have this this mm-hmm. awesome journey system where you 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 do a few rolls and you build a quest essentially. And you come up with all these obstacles that they have to overcome. And I could see something like that working really well for any sort of wilderness, you know, that you're going to be in. But specifically a desert, you know, you can create um, a a few different obstacles that require some saves that might lead to levels of exhaustion. Like, you know, one of the obstacles could be... uh, you know, bandits come to steal your water. And it's like, okay, well, that's obviously a combat, but there's going to be some saves involved if they they make off with your water or whatever. And then there's like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, you could have an obstacle that's literally just like, there's no shade. There's no shadows for miles. The sun is just beating down on you. Everyone make a constitution save. Just something simple like that. Build the quest that way with these obstacles and build in the saving throws in there and work with exhaustion. And then you can have a really awesome sort of just very grueling desert adventure, I think. Another question here uh, from Alexander V. He says Egyptians were almost obsessed with death and the afterlife. Uh, through mummification, they believed they helped the dead to reach the afterlife, and an eternally preserved body was necessary for the return of the dead. And fantasy setting, particularly that of D&D resurrection spells, reanimate dead, etc., can be accessed to return the dead to a form of life. How would an Egyptian civilization utilize such spells would they bring back their pharaohs or loved ones would they spend most of their resources into advancing such spells and search for eternal life what are mm. your thoughts that's a good question
1: my, my first reaction is the the Egyptians had a very different relationship to death mm. you know it was it, it wasn't it they, it wasn't something they were necessarily afraid of I guess it's not in the same it's certainly not in the same way that that we are right but um, all their all their Death rituals and their obsession with it wasn't wasn't negative for them, you know. Right. Um, the afterlife for them was, especially if you were a pharaoh, <laughs> was going to be awesome.
2: Oh man, super you know? cushy, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So uh, the idea of resurrection to them, th- that might be the 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 sort of you know, abomination in their eyes, you know, it's like, why would you pull someone back from that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's terrible. It's essentially, on you.
2: it's essentially showing up at, <laughs> at the remote cabin in the, you know, in the, in the mountains and finding the old special ops guy and say, we got to pull you out of retirement. And he's like, I turned from that path a long time ago. You know, like, it's like, they don't want it. They don't want <laughs> right, to be brought right. back because they're in the afterlife <laughs> with all of their servants, just living it up. You know, they've already achieved right. eternal life through the, through these yeah. processes and they're they're enjoying it. And so that is an interesting thing that I hadn't really thought of. Alex is like, would they even want to try and achieve eternal life or would they be cool with moving on, you know?
1: Yeah, well, again, it depends on the mythology of of a, you know, person's particular world, but Totally. They uh uh they would again, they would have definitely have a very alternative view of, of what death means and even things like the mummies, like, or, you know, the mummy Lord and, 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 uh, uh, those sort of things, they weren't, they, 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 they're not created out of evil, you know, like most undead that we think of they they're, they're an, e- an evil necromancer, rose them or, or a, uh, rose them, raise them. <laughs> I can, I can, I, I can, I can speak English goodly. Um, <clears throat> Um, or, you know, uh, an evil wizard made himself a lich because he wanted to live forever, that sort of thing. Right. But with the, you know, the Egyptian mummies, that, that was, they, that was a respectful thing to do, to put them in, you know, to, to prepare them this way. You put them in the tomb and that's, that's how you honor them. Uh, the only time they, you know, in, 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 you know, mythology and stories came to life was when their tomb was disrupted by someone. Right. You know, so it's kind of the. You know, the adventurers are the assholes in this, you
2: know? Yeah. It's, I hate to say it. Exactly. Back. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And that's kind of, they're,
2: kind of they're, the... Ex- they're
1: tomb <laughs> robbers. Right.
3: And I explore that in the tomb in a couple different ways. One is exactly mm. what you were talking about with the um, with the uh, Necropolis expansion. Yeah. Uh, the idea that the Mummy Lord's not just lying in in repose. Uh, In this sarcophagus, he's actually chilling out in the Necropolis, uh, ruling in his own little underworld um, kingdom, and then his tomb gets disrupted and, you know, he hears somebody in the house, so he's got to go upstairs and see what's going on. And uh, the other way that I explore it is one of these secret motivations called the orphan Mm -hmm. is that that hero uh, is actually gone to the tomb in search of their mother. And the text on the cards actually says something like uh, uh, Your mother was once an adventurer like you until she took a quest to the tomb of the Mummy Lord. And you, the special item that you're given, (laughs) if that's your card, is you are given an amulet of resurrection. And there, if that card is drawn, I place an encounter at a certain point within the adventure where they will encounter the spirit, the ghost spirit of their mother. Um, And it's always interesting because it depends on what the race and class of the character is, Mm -hmm. uh, other factors that play into it. But there's the possibility that one... The mother doesn't want to be resurrected. Uh, yeah. In most cases, I, I have the ghost put that choice on uh, the player. The player has to make that decision. The character has to choose. Do I want to resurrect my dead adventurer mother to help us or will she convince me, hey, it's better off to hold on to this amulet and keep it in case one of my party uh, needs help?
2: Right. Yeah.
3: And there's that idea, that possibility that maybe she doesn't want to be resurrected because you know what? She's found this awesome necropolis.
2: Yeah, it's that's pretty, so much better. It's a twenty four seven party down here, man. Right. I don't want to go back to the world of living. It's great.
1: Just just by new condo in the necropolis. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. Uh, an idea that I kind of just had when, while we were talking about it was uh, <coughs> the, the movie uh, Underworld is an mm. older, older movie, but they have these like vampire lords that are in hibernation and they every few centuries they have to wake one of them up and they essentially like take shifts ruling the vampires and then they go back to sleep. What if you had like an Egyptian mm-hmm. style civilization where you had essentially a rotating roster of pharaohs that were constantly in a state <coughs> of undead like like go like dying and then being resurrected and so they would have their uh. like they would rule for a hundred years and then finally you know be laid to rest and have a few centuries of peace in the afterlife and then be brought back to rule like having I don't know like three three pharaohs that would constantly be in rotation I think that would be yeah. kind of a cool idea of like you know Undead Pharaohs <clears throat> ruling, uh, ruling an empire like that.
3: I'm just going to assume that you preface that with "Here's an idea you can steal," because I just got I, as you were saying that I was like, "Holy cow, that is such a great idea!" That imagine, imagine running something like Tomb of the Mummy Lord, yeah. where I've already you know put in this mechanic of secret motivations, random. Um, attributes for these characters. But what if you had like half a dozen different types of mummy lords, different mummy lord personalities? Mm, yeah. And you randomly roll or decide, do you want the necromancer tyrant? Do you want the more benevolent uh mummy lord? Maybe there's one that specializes in a certain type of magic. There's one that's more willing to he's more helpful than he is harmful. Um uh, mm-hmm. You know that that it it really opens up the possibility <clears throat> for um replayability and completely yeah. changing the scope because you could then you could actually make it be that uh even what kind of monsters and even not talking just about the tomb of the mummy lord but in general this type of adventure uh the type of 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 creatures that the players encounter on their path could completely change. Based on who's in charge.
2: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That idea reminds me of uh, Alex's Council of Liches idea from the original... Uh, Brigade Con mm. uh, panel that started the uh, Roll Up and Die podcast. <laughs> that idea has always stuck with me, the idea of liches working together and on a council. It's just terrifying. I, I love it. Absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Um, you,
1: you imagine me being told that as a character. Uh, Tomorrow you're going to be brought before the lich council. Yeah, you just feel like... I'm sorry, what? Wait,
2: the... I, did you say the witch council? Because that's scary. <laughs> no, I said lich council. Oh, God, that's even worse. Uh... No, but speaking of ideas that people can steal, I think we should uh I think we should come up with an idea that people Ugh, can steal.
0: Make one. Make we one,
2: should yeah. Make one idea. Come
0: one, come on. Let's build ourselves an idea you can steal.
2: Idea we can steal. What do we want to come up with, guys? Do we wanna right. plot <clears throat> an, an Egyptian-style adventure? Do we want to come up with a desert-dwelling civilization for our fantasy worlds? What do we want to do?
1: Yeah, how about a, how about let's do something different? How about a uh uh, a unique desert location.
2: A unique desert location. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It, 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 it doesn't. It
1: doesn't have to be like you know a, a tumor dungeon, or it doesn't have to be you know uh, anything significant. It just has to be a location that they could encounter in the desert somewhere. Cool.
2: Okay. Awesome. All right. I've got a double D six here. I'm going to go ahead and toss out that this is a unique desert location it is not built around a water source of any kind. And so we gotta come up with a different reason why it's important ah. and why it was built where it is. So there's no there's no underground lake or water source, there's no river, it's not an oasis. This is a structure or a settlement that was built for an entirely different reason out here in the middle of the desert.
1: Well, I'm gonna say that it wasn't, it's not, the reason it's not at a water source is because it's not a permanent location. It's a uh, uh, it's it's a a nomadic village, basically. Okay, That cool. that, that 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 travels through the desert, and they are it's they're known for their incredibly diverse and rich bazaar because because they because they travel around so much. It us say it started as kind of like a, maybe a trading caravan at one point, and it got bigger and bigger until eventually they just kept moving. And so you have this this huge, not quite not quite Mad Max because all the stuff looks good, but it, you know, but everything's sort of been cobbled together by what they have, and so that they they move across the desert, um, visiting other places and trading with people as they go, and and it's sort of you know always moving, you know it stops for a couple of days at one place and then gets up and it moves again.
2: One through six is Jake. Let's see. All right, that's a six. So Jake, that's you. Whew. All right,
3: so kind of the thing that is starting this the adventures on this investigation is that somebody has been analyzing the uh, migration pattern, if you will, of this nomadic bazaar, this nomadic culture, as they've been traveling across this vast expanse of desert. And they have begun to realize that over the generations— uh, say that this this culture has been around for you know four or five hundred years. They have been as they crisscross the desert. They are growing. Their patterns are taking them in more and more concentric patterns, closing in toward a central point within the desert, as if something is drawing them, even though they seem to be wandering randomly. Something is guiding them. Something is drawing them toward a certain location within the desert.
2: Well, Jake, thank you, man, for joining us tonight. Uh, our yeah, poor, our poor uh, Barker is sick today, so we, we wanted to fill his seat. <clears throat> and you have more than uh, lived up to the <laughs> to the Barker name. <laughs> to the challenge to the challenge.
3: I'm definitely not glad for the reason why I'm here tonight, but I'm definitely uh, as a long time listener and uh a fan of the show um i'm absolutely honored to be on here today and be able to contribute to this conversation
2: absolutely and jake you yep. have a uh a podcast that you recently started with a uh, fellow gm drake and it is called something rpg-ish and uh if you enjoy roll up and die definitely go check out something rpg-ish you guys are on itunes yeah
3: yeah, we're on Podbean and mm-hmm. I, iTunes as something RPG-ish.
2: Awesome. Yeah, definitely check it Thanks. out. It's a, it's a great podcast. I've been enjoying listening to it. So, But thank you, everyone, for listening to Roll Up and Die. My name is Matt from A Fistful of Dice.
1: And my name is Alex, a.k.a. Captain
2: Gothnog. And again, we were joined tonight by Jake Norman of Mini Terrain Domain and something RPG-ish. And he's going to be coming out with the, with the Tomb of the Mummy Lord module at some point. I'm really excited about it, so... Thank you again for joining us, Jake. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, how does Barker usually end this thing?
1: Uh, I don't know. Maybe you can put something in a post.
2: Yeah, Barker, add something really just mind-blowingly cool right here.
0: You want mind-blowingly cool, huh? Well, how about you try this on for size, Matt? Back in the day when a lord or ruler would die, their property would be divided amongst the heirs. So when Charlemagne, or Charles the Great, died, he only had one heir, Louis the Pious. It wasn't really a big deal. Louis just inherited everything. But when Louis died, he had multiple heirs. And that created a lot of conflict. Specifically, it created a couple new countries. A few, actually, but to be sure, West Francia and East Francia. These two countries would evolve into modern-day France and Germany. And so every historical event, occurrence, or experience between France and Germany that we know about and can study to this day all occurred because Louis the Pious had more than one kid. What an idiot! What an idiot! That blow your mind? What You've Just Listened To has been produced by Roll Up and Die and is copyright 2017. How official. The games, films, TV shows, and other stuff we talked about during this episode are the properties of their respective owners, so be sure to borrow nicely, okay? Any snippet, portion, clip, or other synonym for part of this show can absolutely be used in other media so long as credit is given to the Roll Up and Die podcast you can find all three of the primary hosts on youtube and other websites matt can be found at youtube.com slash a fistful of dice barker can be found at youtube.com slash be a better game master and both of their work can be found at www.absolutetabletop.com captain gothnog is also on youtube at youtube.com slash captain gothnog and his work can be found on drive-through rpg under critical hit publishing Be sure to keep track of us on iTunes at rollupanddie.podbean.com or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash rollupanddie. Have a fantastic day, everybody, and as always, happy gaming.